Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. You know, in our lives, just because we win a battle doesn't necessarily mean that we won the war. And it doesn't mean that the war is over. You know, World War II... Uh, we won a, a major, hard-fought victory in North Africa against Rommel and his tank corps. And it was a very difficult, very difficult thing. We won. It was finalized and finished on May 13th of 1943. But it would not be until May 8th of, eight, of 1945, almost two years later, that we actually had victory in Europe. A battle that was very difficult to, to win, uh, cost a lot of lives, and yet we had much, much more to do. And so last week we, we saw that Paul was in uh, Jerusalem, and he brought he brought Barnabas and, and Titus with him. Uh, wasn't necessarily I went well. I, I don't want to make it sound like he was there to do battle, because but he was. He was there to try to convince the leaders of the church to to help him with the Judaizers who were coming behind him and undoing all the work that he had done. Now, as a pastor, I can understand that the difficulty in that and the concern of that, uh, especially today with uh, the amount of social media and the, uh, the amount of videos that we can watch online. And it's very easy for people, you know, they, they hear a pastor on Sunday morning and then throughout the week they're watching and listening to all kinds of things and you really don't know. So that's why it's important that we, we make sure that we are, we are preaching the word. I preach from scripture and I use scripture to validate it. But Paul is fighting this, uh, fighting this war, and, and the war he knows, just like we've learned in the book of Ephesians, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it against, it's against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. And Paul is fighting that. But obviously, these forces are using us. He's using people to thwart what Paul had done. But Paul actually presented his case, and Titus was not circumcised, and actually the leaders of the church gave him the right hand of fellowship, meaning that they agreed Paul's ministry of grace, how it was only by the grace of God, by God, what God did, not by what we did, that we are saved. So Paul goes back, and he he continues on with where he was at. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. To Galatians 2, we're going to be just in verses 11 through 14 today. We're going to we're going to see a, a an episode, a, an encounter that Paul has, and we'll I'll explain a little bit later why he included this. But this this is an important uh, event that happened in the life of the church that continues what we talked about last week a little bit. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. It says, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he, meaning Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, 
I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for Paul's courage and his example. Lord, help us to to understand your word and have it be that buffer against the things of this world, the things of the heavenly realms that's pushing against us to, to doubt what your word says. Your word is true. Your word is holy. Your word is all we need. We praise you, Father. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Now, I I can imagine that when Paul had returned from Jerusalem, and I'm sure everybody, I mean, because this wasn't just a a one-day trip. You know, you didn't just travel to Jerusalem for half a day and then come back. I'm sure it was a multi-day event. And most of the people that were in the churches probably knew wherever Paul was staying that Paul had been in Jerusalem and what had been going on. So I'm sure when Paul comes back, he is, he is really elated because he, he, it is confirmed, he has now been confirmed that this is what you're supposed to preach, Paul. You're supposed, you are to preach to the Gentiles about repentance to, by grace. It is by grace we are saved, not through faith, not by works, so that we can't boast. And I imagine that he actually was like, you know, yeah, I guess what? he was telling people about it, as we always do when we come back from something like this. We'd probably tell some people about it. I'm just, and I'm just postulating here probably a little bit. I'm sure that Paul was like, yes, the leaders of the church, they're, you know, I, they, they, they gave me the right hand of fellowship, and I'm sure he's excited about the fact that now we can move forward, and we can just keep going the way God wants us to go. And his enthusiasm has been increased because of that right hand of fellowship that Peter and James and John gave him. Like I said, last week, he knew he was preaching the right thing because God had, Jesus had given it to him. There was no doubt in Paul's mind. But now he's hoping that maybe, maybe the road behind him will be a little bit better because those Judaizers will not be coming in to lead the people astray. He probably spoke very well of Peter and James and John. And all of the brothers in Jerusalem as esteemed leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Because see, Paul, we had some things we have to remember about Paul. Paul was a, a very zealous Pharisee. Meaning that he was so passionate about the law, about being a Pharisee and following that law, that he was willing to kill people or have people killed who were not following Judaism. Until he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. And all of a sudden now, that zealousness that he had for the law has now been turned to a zealousness zealousness for Jesus Christ and for the gospel. And anything that would fracture or damage the unity and the grace that he was seeing God pour out upon the Gentiles, he would have been very adamant that it cannot happen. It would strike Paul, I'm sure, to the very core, as it would me. If, if, I, if, I, if God had shown me something that was biblically correct, followed right along with what he said, and then I was, and people were learning it, and then all of a sudden they're turning from it, or it's threatened, I'm sure we would all be very passionate about, oh, wait a minute, you can't do that. That's a, 
You can't go against what Jesus has said. So at this point, that's probably his trigger. I mean, you want to you wanna see Paul's passion for Christ, then threaten the very grace and the very unity that was occurring between uh, the Gentiles and the Jews. We were one church. And I think probably the, the biggest issue, I mean, you know, we can usually handle threats from somebody we really don't know very well. But when we have a threat from somebody who's close to us, this threat from someone that we, we respect enough, who's a leader of the church, right? The leader, somebody who's threatening us. You know, it was one thing that the Judaizers was do, were doing it, right? But if, what if Peter, James, or John had done it? Had threatened the unity? I mean, that's a whole other story. But we know that the leaders of the church, I mean, they, they gave him the right hand of fellowship, making Paul's ministry on the same level as theirs. What we're going to see is, we saw in the scripture that, that something's gone wrong. There's something that doesn't seem right. There's a disconnect here, because it doesn't. We're, we'll, we'll go talk through that a little bit. So we have this scene of Peter coming to Antioch, and he's eating, and he's socializing with the Gentiles. He's not holding back. He's, he's, giving, he's being friendly with them. He's spending time with them. He's eating with them. And if you remember last, you know, I, mean, I didn't talk about last week. We we're going to talk about eating. But the, the fact that he's eating with them is so important. But then these group of Jews from the Jewish church come in, and Paul notices the issue. You know, speaking of eating, you know, today, we don't think very much about eating with somebody. I mean, some of you have gone to lunch with us, or you've come to our house, and, ha- and we eat, we enjoy each other's company. And, and we don't think anything about it. But for a Jewish person, for the Jewish believer, there's something more to that. It carries many important meanings. Uh, there's a book, uh, it's called The New Testament Theology, The Proclamation of Jesus. It's written by a, a man named uh, Joachim Jeremiah, and he can say this much better than I can. So I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. He says, in Judaism, table fellowship means fellowship before God. For eating of a piece of broken bread by everyone who shares in the meal brings out the fact that all have a share in the blessings which the master of the house has spoken over the unbroken bread. So what he's saying is, is that when we pray and we bless the food and we thank God for the food, we're praying a blessing on us. And if I eat it and everybody who's in my household that eats it, I'm saying they're sharing equally with me in the blessings of God. So Peter, eating with the Gentiles, showed that he believed that the Jews and the Gentiles are under the same blessing. As the same as Peter. Because I'm sure... Now... Who do you think they probably asked to say the blessing? You're sitting in a group of people, and Peter is there. Who would you say asked to say the blessing? You'd ask Peter to say the blessing. 
And that's probably what happens. So he blesses, probably blesses the food, and they just, they're all enjoying and, and enjoying the blessing that, is, that Peter has, that he has given. But then the Jews come in, and what does Peter do? Peter gets up from the table and goes over to the table where the Jews are. Now I want you to imagine that you're sitting in a restaurant with a good friend or with a friend, and some of their other friends come in, you're in the middle of eating, and that friend gets up, goes over, and sits with the other, their other friends, doesn't invite you over to introduce you, just leaves you there, goes over, and spends the rest of their time, the rest of their dinner, with their other friends. How would that make you feel? I think we'd all be a little offended, wouldn't we? A little downfallen. I mean, at least what Peter should have done is he should have said, hey, friends, come with me. I want to introduce you to my, my other friends from Jerusalem. But he doesn't. He gets up and he leaves the Gentiles. Why did he do this? Why did Peter do this? This has not been that long since he was in Jerusalem with Paul and given him the right hand of fellowship. Was it the food? Well, that, that table has better food. Or was it the company? Now, we have to understand, in, in Judaism, food is either clean or unclean. Jews can only eat clean, what's called kosher foods. And why, did, why is that? Because God did that to set them apart from their neighbors. It, it, it sets them apart from the nations around them, and it proclaims to everybody that they belong to God. But see, the problem with thinking that way, especially for Peter, is the fact that Jesus himself set that aside. If we go to the book of Mark, chapter 7, starting with verse 14, and this is Jesus Doing this, he says, And he, meaning Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me. Now, if Jesus says, Hear me, you better listen. This is important stuff. Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. See, the, the whole the whole thing about kosher food was if you ate that kosher, the unkosher food, the unclean food, it made you unclean. And the only way to get clean again was to go through a washing ritual. Well, why would you do that? Well, if you don't go through a washing ritual, if you're not clean, you cannot come into the synagogue. You would not be able to come into the temple. Now imagine that. Imagine if we stood at the door and says, okay, what all, what all did you eat this week? What did you do this week that you shouldn't have done? And if you're clean enough, we'll allow you to come into the church. But that was the Jewish way of thinking. But Jesus puts it aside. There's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So what comes out of us? Well, think about that. I eat food, it comes out of me. It can defile me. 
if my habits aren't, if my sanitary habits aren't what they're supposed to be. Think about this. I, I, things go into me. What comes out of me? My mouth. What comes out of my mouth? My voice. My speaking. That defiles us. This is what he goes on and says, And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. They didn't get it. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not get this? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Jesus is saying, you can eat whatever you want. It's not going to make you unclean. But if you listen to something, and you see something, it will defile your heart. And when you defile your heart, you speak evil. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Peter knew this. He heard it from Jesus himself. So it can't be the food. Come on. He was just eating it. It could not have been the food. In fact, it was what was coming out of Peter, his actions, that would ultimately defile him and cause Paul to confront him. Peter should have known better. If what Jesus told him wasn't enough, then what about what Peter experienced on the rooftop? We go to Acts 10, 9 through 15. It says, the next day, Peter's, Peter's on his way. He's traveling on the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went up to a housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. Because Jews pray at the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and then the twelfth hour for the next day. So it's the, it's the sixth hour. It's 12 o'clock. Peter goes up on the roof to pray. And he became hungry. And he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. We must understand, he was not sleeping. He is not dreaming. He is seeing a vision. God is giving him a vision. And let me just say this. Just because Peter had a vision here doesn't mean that God's going to give you a vision today. God does what he wants when he wants. That doesn't mean he has to give people visions. He can But he gave Peter a vision. This is what he saw. He says, And Peter saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Oh, by no means, Lord. I mean, he knew who it was who was telling him this. He He knew whose voice it was. By no means, Lord. Why? I've been a good Jew. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And, and this is, 
again, this is after Jesus had told him. This is after Jesus was resurrected and ascended to, 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 to heaven, back to the Father. Jesus has already told Peter and all the disciples, nothing you eat will make you unclean. And yet Peter is still boasting about the fact, oh no, I've never eaten anything unclean or common. And the voice came to him again and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. So now we have Jesus telling him, it's okay to eat anything. Nothing you put in your body will make you unclean, spiritually. And then we have God, the Father, telling him, nothing I've said is clean, don't call it common. If I tell you to do something, do it. And then Peter will go, and what Peter will experience is a new, something that's new to redemption. All the sacrimonial a sacrificial ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, they've done what they're supposed to do. What were they supposed to do? They were a foreshadowing of Christ coming. They've done their job. But a new day, a new covenant was dawning. It was time to go away from man-made traditions. So Peter sent to a Gentile's house, Cornelius, And he experiences and sees the Holy Spirit fall upon these people, and then he preaches to them, and then he baptizes them. God's hand on these events cannot be denied. So God is now twice confirmed with Peter. It's okay. Don't call something that I make unclean or common. And it's okay to go to the Gentiles. So it makes it, kind of, it makes it kind of difficult to understand why would Peter now turn from the Gentiles and go to the Jews. I mean, Peter was a great man. He was a great man of the church, a great leader. But we must understand that even great followers of Jesus are not immune to peer pressure and ultimately failure. See, this failure here that we experience in Galatians that Paul's talking about is so bad that even Barnabas is led astray. Barnabas, wow. Never would have thought he would have done that. And some of the other Jewish converts who were with Paul are led astray. They caved into Jewish pressure. And I'm sure that this set Paul on edge. He was very upset about this. Because I think what they were concerned about, and and we fall into this sometimes today too, I think they were concerned with their reputation with the Jews from Jerusalem more than the unity of of the believers. Sometimes we get um, more worried about our reputation with the world than we do about our relationship with Christ. I mean, would the, would the people, would the Jews think that Peter's, like, he's, he's not good now? That he's, what is he doing slumming with those Gentiles? Would they disrespect him as a leader in the church? See, in his humanness, he needed acceptance. 
And I'm afraid that the church today, and especially, I mean, honestly, the leaders in the church today, and I'm not saying our church, but we got to be careful of this, the leaders in the church are caving to the world. We're caving to the world because of our reputation. Well, I don't want to, I don't want us to lose our 501c3 nonprofit status. You realize that back then there was no 501c3 profit nonprofit status. God doesn't care whether we whether we're a nonprofit and we can we don't have to pay taxes. If that gets taken away, God will provide the money we need for the taxes. We do not need to worry about our reputation with the world. We need to worry about our relationship and our re- reputation with God. That's what's most important. There's a book I read called Personal Revival by a revivalist and and an author named Stanley Volk. And it was very interesting what he said about reputation. He says, we are all reputation conscious. Some of us have a reputation. It may be for piety or efficiency, leadership, preaching, efficiency, housekeeping, anything. When I was working in the insurance business, when I first started working, I had a reputation for being a collector of money. They called me Guido, because I could collect money from anybody. I was very nice about it, but for some reason I was able to collect money. I don't have to do that now. I won't be calling you up saying, hey, you need to give some more money to the church. That's not what I do anymore. But we all have reputations for something. Others of us wish we had a reputation Once it's acquired or assured, it haunts us. It dogs us. It browbeats us. It wears us to shreds. We we become, we all of a sudden now we're in bondage to our reputation. It becomes slavery. And yet we don't even know that the reality is it's a struggle with our own righteousness. We do not want to be known as a failure along any line. And the struggle for righteousness consistently becomes a struggle for appearance. You know, i, I got to look righteous. People look at our church and think, oh, that's just that little church out there in the country. As a pastor, I could fall very easily into, oh, we need to, we need to have every seat filled. I need to show them that there's something, there's something to this. No. Jesus said, I I will build the church. He'll send us who he's supposed to send us. The question is, are we more worried about our reputation than we are about Christ? And what happens is that we begin to become dishonest with ourselves. What a relief when we see Christ at the end of all this. He is the end of the struggle for righteousness, since he not only fulfilled the law for us, but was cursed for it as well. He He not only attained our perfection, but he atoned for our imperfection. There's nothing more to struggle about, for he has done for all for us, and God has asked nothing now but repentance and faith. See, Peter, he feared for his reputation. But the problem was, when he did that, he didn't just separate from the Gentiles. He, he did much more than that. He actually shrank back from the very gospel that Jesus had proclaimed to him. 
And see, what Paul says in verse 13 of Galatians 2 is that the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. It's one thing if I do something stupid and I fall, but when I take people with me, that's an even bigger problem. That's why Jesus says what comes out of our mouth, that is what is evil. That is what makes us unclean. But see, these these Jews who went from eating with the Gentiles to eating with the Jews were not hypocritical because they had the wrong, the the, the, the doctrine was incorrect. Their doctrine was 100% correct. They had, they knew the gospel of grace. And they weren't ignorant of it either. They were hypocrites because they believed one thing and they did another. That's a hypocrite. And Peter caved into the social pressure that allowed them, these men from from Jerusalem, to be the gatekeepers for his reputation. Now, I wanted to I want to give you it's always good to have a good example of this to show you that you know it is possible to keep your reputation let's say let's put it this way to have the right reputation with the right people and I'm a history buff so I, I wanted to share this and I'm not sure how many of you know what happened here but in 1520 uh, Pope Leo had condemned Martin Luther Martin Luther was the one, the, 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 the father of Protestantism. He, he, he nailed his, his theses, these problems he had with the church, to the, at the Wittenberg Castle. He nailed it to the door. His goal was not to split the church. His, his goal was to reform the church from the inside. But the Pope had condemned him and called him to stand before the Diet of Worms. I know, they weren't eating worms. A diet was a, it was a, 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 a gathering of leaders. It was called a diet. And Worms was the place they did it. Okay, the Diet of Worms in April of 1521. And, and so what happened was the the council go they bring Luther in and they show him his writings and they ask him, "Do you want to reject what you wrote? And do you still believe everything?" And Luther says, and he it's something probably most of us wouldn't do, but he said, I, "I need some time to pray and think about it." So the next day. They brought him for him again, and they asked him the same question. And I want to read to you his reply. He says, Since then, your majesty and your lordship's desire to a simple reply, I will answer without horns and without teeth. What he had realized is, is, is that when he wrote those theses and nailed them on the door, they were pretty harsh. He was being, he was mad. <laughs> so he was writing in his anger. So he says, I, I'm not going to be mean. I'm, I'm going to, without horns and without teeth. He says, Unless I am convicted by scriptures... In plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes, councils, or councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. So be it. So at that point in time, the, the diet basically declared Luther a heretic 
outlawed him from teaching his theology. A price was put on his head by Charles V. And luckily, he had some people who supported him, and they hid him for many years, where he was able to translate the Bible out of Latin into German and write many a, uh, many a theological paper on faith. And the Reformation had begun. That's what we need to do. We need to not worry about our reputation with the people in the world, okay, what they think. We need to worry about what Christ thinks. Because if we, if we, if we worry about what Christ thinks, we will be Christ to the world. And they need to see that. And this, our society today, we're living, we're still living in fear. And the spiritual forces of darkness want that. But I sit and say, I'm not afraid of anything. My God has this under control. We're good. And I'm loving and I'm kind, no matter what they are towards me. Believe me, I get attacked all the time. Even from people who are close to me. And what do I need to do? I need to love them back. Because that's my reputation. Peter was out of step with the gospel and a bad influence on others. So Paul, he had no choice. He had to confront him. But he didn't just have to confront Peter because there were more. It's more than just Peter. It was all those people who followed Peter and also those people from Jerusalem who had been, probably knew about what happened at the Jerusalem Council and what they had decided. So he confronts him. And he does it publicly. He doesn't, he's not mean. He's not nasty. He doesn't call people Peter names. He just says, Peter, think about this. And, 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 you know, Peter could have argued, well, I'm not telling these Gentiles that they have to, you know, eat kosher food. But for me, I have to. I'm not telling them that they have to do this. But the reality was that when Peter got up from that table and went to the Jewish table, he's sending this message to the Gentiles that you're not fully Christian because you're not fully Jewish. And now that my Jewish friends are here, I need to go with them. It's actually, I, I was just thinking about this. This just hit me. I've seen that happen with kids. Like, sorry, ladies, with girls especially, young girls, middle school girls. That's very middle school girlish. I don't like that friend, so now I'm going to go over this friend. It is. It's crazy. That that's what was going on. So Paul had to confront it. I mean, we all want to be accepted, right? We all, we all, but nobody wants to be persecuted. Nobody wants to be looked down as an outsider, as somebody who's weird. And we all want to be accepted by those around us. But the only way to enjoy true acceptance that really matters is to live by faith in Jesus Christ who died for us. We must stay in step with the gospel by continually confronting our own sinfulness and laying it at the feet of Jesus, resting in our faith that not only that only his righteousness is sufficient. I cannot do anything. I lay my sins at the feet of Jesus Christ. I can do nothing to atone for those. Nothing I do is good enough. It takes Jesus dying on the cross for those. 
We have to live by the truth that God has made us clean and thrown our sins as far as the east is from the west. I mean, Paul wrote to the church in 2 Corinthians, he says, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. Apparently, I mean, we read this, we think, oh, that's no big deal. Apparently, some of the stuff he wrote to them, I mean, it scared them. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. Paul apparently wasn't a great speaker, and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. He says, what I'm writing you is exactly what I want you to do and what I want I do in your presence. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who, are, who commend themselves. I'm not comparing myself to this person. I think I said this last week. I cannot, we cannot compare ourselves with each other. You cannot, you cannot compare me to every other preacher. You have to compare me to the Word of God. Am I in the Word of God? Am I preaching God's Word? That's it. I can't compare myself to you. I can only compare myself to Jesus, and when I do that, I fall short. That's what Paul's saying here. Not that I dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they're without understanding. They don't get it. It's not about comparing ourselves to each other and our reputations with each other. It's about our reputation with Christ and comparing ourselves to Christ, to be more like Christ. We cannot be concerned with our reputation with the world. What matters is our standing with Christ. Paul says in Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's our standing right there. Not condemned. No more. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. That's our standing in Christ. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order, why? Why did he do it? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. The law has been covered. It's taken care of. Jesus' blood on the cross took care of that. Now what do we have? We have faith in Jesus Christ and his righteousness, who walked not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But that doesn't mean we just go about our lives sinning. It means we need to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul shares this story with the churches in Galatia because he wants to show them we have so much freedom in Christ. We don't have to worry about the law anymore. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry. We don't have to keep all the traditions of the Jews. We don't have to worry about unclean and clean food. Now, if you want to eat mushrooms, that's fine. To me, they're unclean. But I won't get up from the table to go to somebody who's not eating mushrooms if you're eating mushrooms. In fact, I'll cook mushrooms for you if you want. I just don't like mushrooms. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. And it's about whether or not we are in a right relationship with him. And how do we do that? We do that by believing in him and having faith in him because he has paid all the price that needs to be paid for our salvation. And now we live not in the flesh, we live according to the Spirit. And yes, we're going to make mistakes, but we're going to keep moving. 
Paul's sharing this story because of that. He wants to show them the freedom, focusing on the gospel's sufficiency to make us right before God and each other. Remember, it's not just about my relationship with God. It's about my relationship with everybody, with each other. He was humble. See, Paul was humble in his confrontation. Like I said, he did not. I want to go back. I'm going to go way back here. What did he say to Peter? I'm going way back here. I need to read this. Here's what he said to Peter. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? He didn't say, Peter, you're a scoundrel, you're a jerk, what are you doing? He says, no, wait a minute, Peter, think about this. He's trying to get Peter to think. Why? Because he wants Peter to repent. Because Peter has now stepped away from the gospel by what he did. i got to get all the way back. He's telling Peter, think about what you just did. How can you do that and expect and not that and not think that you're trying not, not expecting them to do the same thing? It's not what you it's not what you put in your body that matters, it's what that comes out. And what's coming out of Peter is not good. You need to repent. And so do all of those who did what you just did. calls Peter to stay in step with the gospel with the goal of repentance. And guess what? He's calling the Galatian church to do the same thing. And he's calling us to do the same thing. To repent and stay in step with the gospel. Don't worry about the world and what the rep- your reputation in the world. Live right. Do justice. Seek mercy and walk humbly with your God and your reputation will be fine. There will be those who, will, who won't like you and there will be those who will condemn you. But you know what? They don't matter. What matters is Jesus and your reputation with him. Because in the end, that's all that matters. You know, we... We have, we, have, we have the ability to have faith in Christ because of what Christ did on the cross. Not because of what we did. Not because of what we're going to do. Not because of what we ate, how righteous we thought we were, or, or how pious we think we are. All of us, every single one of us is not worthy. But the great thing is that we don't have to because Christ makes us worthy by his sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for joining Living Faith on our YouTube channel. My prayer is that this message today has encouraged you and strengthened your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to connect with you, so please subscribe to our channel and hit the bell so that you get updated when we add a new message. Also, please leave any comments you might have in the comments section. We would love you to join us live for our service on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. We hope you have a great day today. God bless.